Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 186 of the Brisby podcast. Uh, Andrew Bagley was traded to the Mariners. Uh, I'm sorry to say. Uh, no, it's episode 186 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, 186, exactly the number of career runs combined scored by Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Mm, really? I thought you were going to say number of Jerry DePoto trades that were made in the last uh, since our last podcast recording. <laughs> And by the way, Corey Brock is a swell guy. You're going to like him. Brock and Brisby actually has a good ring to it. So I'll go up. I'll cover the Mariners. I'll, I'll get access to much better quality salmon. And you know what? It'll be fine. It'll, be, well, it'll all work out. You know, you can get that salmon sent to us. Uh, like uh, dry ice, nice uh, uh, Pacific Northwest salmon. I heartily recommend that sort of product. You know, one thing that's always been on my bucket list is to go fishing in Alaska. You know, where they mm. do everything for you. And, yes. it's, and then they, they fillet and clean the fish and they put it in individually frozen things and then you bring it home on the plane and everyone stares at you with your big giant cooler full of fish. I, I would, I just, and then you have so much fish that it's like, oh, what's for dinner? Well, we have fish in the freezer. I, I mean, that just sounds great. You just, you put in your line, you get, you get salmons and halibuts that cost 45 bucks a pound. That sounds pretty good to me. This is why we do so well together as a podcast too, because you and I share the same dreams. A freezer full of fresh fish that I caught myself but didn't clean is kind of my dream too. But I think we are skirting the topic of the Giants and specifically what they did or did not do against the Cardinals over the weekend. We can get to a lot of things. We can talk about the Mauricio Dubon trade later, but I guess we got to cover uh, them getting blown out over the weekend first. Yeah, I, I blame Mike Petriello, who does a wonderful job for MLB.com, <laughs> but he and Maria Guardado uh, wrote a big splashy feature on the best pitch in baseball is Carlos Rodon's fastball. And here's why. It's such a special pitch. He's awesome. He's impenetrable. He's uh, unbeatable. And oh, wait, we just hit publish and he gave up eight runs. Um, yeah, I, I sent him a message and I said, I hope you feel at least somewhat responsible for this. And I don't believe in jinxes, but the timing was just very, very uh, interesting on that. So yeah, Carlos Rodon is, hey, the guy's human. Who knew? You know, right? He's not going to be able to strike out, uh, you know, 10 in five innings every single time. And, um, you know, the game turned into such a laugher that you ended up with Albert Pujols on the mound. And um, I suppose that kind of maybe allowed the Giants even to kind of get out of town and and not be thinking about the stinging loss they just took. But just how, you know, there's Evan Longoria standing on first base doing the universal waving hand 
hand sign that tells you, I want the damn baseball, take that out of play. That's going in my trophy <laughs> case. I just got to hit off Albert Pujols. I mean, you can't not smile when you see stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it did bring a, a nice end to, to the day. And Luis Gonzalez also, by the way, is now uh, has taken over from Logan Webb as the answer to a trivia question. The last National League pitcher to hit a home run since he was in the game as the pitcher yes. and he hit a home run off Albert Pujols. So, uh, yeah, it, it, maybe it allowed them to, you know, maybe have a different mindset as they just get on the plane and say, oh, well, let's just wash that one off. And, and oh, yeah, here's Coors Field. Let's uh, let's go face the Rockies. Yeah, this is my turn for full disclosure uh, because I did not actually watch Sunday night's game. And here's why. It was a busy day. Was The morning was softball and then I'm running errands and I'm getting stuff for the yard and I'm digging holes in the backyard and I'm trying to rush for that late night Sunday night ESPN game. And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll catch up on the first couple innings on the DVR. I don't need to be there right at, at game time. I can I can catch up. And then my phone buzzed and I get automatic alerts from the, the SF Giants media account. And it said, uh, Nolan Arenado's home run ties him for blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, okay, I think I know how this is going. And then I was just following the score. And after a while, I said, I don't need to watch this game. And then my phone buzzed again. It says Luis Gonzalez is pitching. I said, I have to watch this game. And I (laughs) climbed over the couch to watch it. So it ended up being a pretty fun game for me because I selectively watched, you know, the cool parts, which was Albert Pujols pitching and uh, 40 mile per hour Evises paired with sneak attack, 85 mile per hour fastballs. I kind of loved it. You know, it, it worked out perfect for me too, because I was traveling yesterday. So I watched part of the game on the plane and it was really like, like the last like th- three innings that I saw. And uh, and so I missed the middle part and the beginning, obviously. But then I had to go grab something to eat. There was one restaurant that was still open. Um, by the way, um, uh, 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 Nola Jane is the name of the restaurant. It's a Cajun restaurant in downtown mm-hmm. um, Colorado. And if you happen to fly in on a late Sunday night, uh, as I often do when there's a uh, Rocky series that starts on a Monday. It is the only restaurant that's decent and that's open in Denver past 8 p.m. So uh, I, I, oh, I went in there. I had myself a, a, a crab boil and I watched a, a different kind of crab boil on the TV. They had the rebroadcast of, <laughs> of Carlos Rodon getting getting beat in the first uh, couple innings. So I got to watch the, the critical parts as well. Yeah, it was not a, a, a fun game by any stretch uh, or a fun weekend. It was just after the, the Giants' very strong win on Friday, it just felt like... Like there was a little momentum. There's a winning streak. And then they were two thuds, just dull games, uh, games where they weren't really competitive. But it did lead me to the research. And before we get to the Mauricio Dubon trade and, and roster stuff, uh, I was trying to look for something Arenado Goldschmidt for that intro Easter egg and I accidentally set or left the setting on for retired players and active players. And it pulled up the greatest Giants killers in history. Who is the number one Giants killer in history as far as pure and uh, total home runs hit against them, but just over a thousand plate appearances, OPS, batting average, everything. Who is the greatest Giants killer hitter? Wow, gosh. Um, Well, it'd have to be someone who played in the division a long time. I'm thinking maybe it's someone more recent because you were playing an unbalanced schedule or it's going back to when the pre-1969 when there were only you know, a, a, a few teams. Um, hmm, gosh, maybe, wow, that's tough. Um, 1960s. How, how about, uh, I was going to say Frank Robinson, but he was in the AL for a while. I'm overthinking this. Um, I'll say Pete Rose. I got to tell you, I ask you these questions because I love hearing the Jeopardy brain work in real time. And I think our podcast listeners too, that was like very much uh, final Jeopardy brain going right there. I appreciate it. 
Stan Musial. Stan Musial. Oh, right. Okay. Freaking sure. killed the Giants. 89 home runs, which is 11 more than Hank Aaron. Uh, it was from 42 to 63. He had 1,700 uh, plate appearances against them. He hit 337, had a, a, a 1,027 OPS against them. Just killed them consistently for two decades. And the reason I bring that up is because Nolan Arenado has now hit 33 home runs against the Giants. Imagine 89 home runs, almost like three times the Nolan Arenado. That's what you got with Stan Musial. You know what? I, I totally brainlocked. I knew that. It's uh, every time I look up an Arenado stat against the Giants, uh, like most homers in a season, you come up with Dale Murphy, uh, and then you come up with uh, Stan Musial. It's like, oh yeah, those guys won some MVPs. They were pretty good players. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the Giants went through Goldschmidt and, and Arenado to win a game at home, and you think, wow, well, what are the odds of that happening? Well, the odds are pretty good. It's going to even out too, and, and it sure did. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. We don't need to talk about the Cardinals and the Giants because I, well, you know, let me ask you one more question because this is something I thought about over the weekend. The Giants and the Cardinals to me seem like very evenly matched teams. And while it's fun to think the Giants and Dodgers are going to be trading 100 plus win seasons in the this year and in the, the near future, the distant future, it seems to me we sh- the expectation should be closer to the Giants and the Cardinals, that kind of good, where it's a good, but it's a flawed good. It's a good you're expecting to make the postseason, but there'll be hiccups along the way. Is that off base or is that track pretty well? It just seems like these two teams just funnel into the postseason every year <laughs> and, um, uh, and funnel in against each other, obviously. And you, know, you wrote a really good piece looking at how the Giants are scoring their runs and realizing that you know, one of the reasons they've been successful is they haven't been reliant on the home run. They've been scoring runs in a lot of you know, sort of small ballish kind of ways. And the Cardinals are definitely a team that will take bases on you, a team that, uh, you know, will, will make you work for every out. Um, they do remind me a little bit of the Giants. Uh, in, they're not quite as much of a plug-and-play team. They do have more everyday guys, and they certainly have the thump in the middle of the lineup with Goldschmidt and Arenado, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, it, they do seem like they're pretty similar in a few regards. And uh, I, I, I thought it was really interesting to watch these two teams play each other. They seem fairly evenly matched uh, to me. The Cardinals maybe have a little more pitching uh, than I gave them credit for to start the season. When Jack Flaherty wasn't going to be ready to go, I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to pick them to be a 500 team. but uh, And they're still going to get him back, I think, at some point, right? So, um, uh, yeah, you know, the Cardinals, I think, are, are super interesting. And, and maybe we haven't seen the last of them. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let us move to that Mauricio Dubon trade. And in, I think it was December or maybe January, you were tasked with uh, one of those collaborative athletic pieces. Uh, which player on the Giants is the most likely to be traded? And your choice was Mauricio Dubon. And since then, I get the feeling that maybe you were thinking, ah, I might have been wrong there. Maybe he's going to be a part of the longer term. Maybe. Was there a moment where you're thinking, I think he's here to stay? And were you surprised a little bit by the trade? Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
blind spot, total blind spot. I think I tweeted something uh, like last week. It's like, wow, think back to when he was a bubble guy on the roster and now he's super integral to everything they're doing. And, and I got a couple people uh, texting me back saying, whoa, 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 check out the OPS. I mean, come on. He had a couple nice games. And I, even when I asked Gabe Kapler a pregame question, it was shortly after the series in Dodger Stadium where he hit, made some really hard outs and then he hit a homer uh, uh, at the beginning of the homestand. And I asked uh, Kapler, uh, actually prior to him hitting the homer, I said, well, what do you think of the fact that Dubon is, is driving the ball a little bit more? Because we tend to think of his offensive development being – uh, you know, to to not chase, and and we don't really think about his improvement being potentially driving the ball more. And and Kapler's answer was, when Mauricio's going good, he can drive the ball. When he's not going good, there's a lot of quick outs on the ground. And mm-hmm. that basically should have told me, okay, yeah, they're seeing this as a little bit of a surge, but this is not you know who they expect this player to be. Um, and and yeah, you you look at the fact that he had what did he draw one walk I think as a Giant yeah. this year, yeah. so. I mean, he, he still really never fit their offensive ethos, you know, just like Kevin Pillar never fit their offensive ethos. And and I think that, uh, you know what, I probably would have been right. He would have been traded at the end of spring training, but they had those extra roster spots uh, that were added because of uh, the accelerated spring, because of the lockout ended so late, thanks owners. And um, then, you know, they, they obviously had some COVID issues and that allowed – uh, that allowed uh, them to have a little more roster flexibility. And I think, you know, we, we knew that the two bubble people who were probably on the outs were Mauricio Dubon and Tyler Beatty from the very start. And it just took an extra month for that to happen, basically. There's a couple of things that surprised me about the move. Not necessarily that he was traded, because I think we were, even when he was going a little bit better, there was still that chance of, okay, he doesn't have options. And that's just killer to uh, a killer to the, the flexibility overall to the roster. But it surprised me that he wasn't traded to a team like, I don't know, the Reds or the Pirates that's in a bad way and can really afford to take their time with him. He was traded to the Astros and the Astros want help now. They are winning now and they have the same roster considerations that the Giants do where they would prefer a player with options. But it was a contending team that wanted him right now. And that's what gives me a little bit of pause. Like, that's a smart team and they're picking the pockets of the Giants. What are the Giants not seeing? What are they seeing? It's a fascinating uh, match. Yeah, it could be a part-time thing for them. They've got Jeremy Pena who's replacing Carlos Correa and he's been out of the lineup for, I believe, the weekend. He had a little bit of a knee discomfort issue. So uh, he hasn't been placed on the IL last I checked, but uh, they've got Alebnis Diaz filling in at shortstop. So they're probably just looking at their depth and realizing, hey, we could use you know, an extra, a little bit more help here. And, you know, Mauricio Devon is a nice guy to have on your bench. He, he is a guy who can put the bat on the ball and um, he runs well. You can pinch run him. Uh, you can play him at a lot of different positions. Um, you know, I think he's a starting player potentially on a, a second division team. Um, and maybe he'll get that opportunity. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you could do a lot worse than to go play for Dusty Baker and uh, and, and and play for probably the hottest team in baseball. So uh, it's, I think it's always nice to see a player land in a good spot. And I think the Giants do try to do that generally, and that goes for the past administration as well as the pre- as well as the current one. I, I think they do try to find good spots to put their players in when they know that they basically it's time for them to shuffle off. The other thing when do, when doing research on the trade that surprised me is that Mauricio Dubon 
had by far the lowest strikeout rate on the Giants. He had struck out in 8.2% of his plate appearances, which was by far, it's better than Wilmer Flores, better than uh, Estrada, Estremski, Crop. It's better than all of them. And it made me realize just how much of a work in progress he still was. And that's not to say that he's destined for good things. It's just that he's trying to reinvent himself. And it's come at the cost of walks because he, he used to walk a decent amount, a fair amount. And now he's not walking at all, but he's got this contact going on. And it's just the Giants could not really, they couldn't have patience with a guy who was reinventing himself, I think, especially one that didn't have options. And that was the main thing is they wanted him to work things out and to become the hitter they thought he could be. But without the options, it's just it wasn't the right fit for this roster. Yeah, I'm just looking at his fan graphs. Um uh, Fangraph's numbers and his, you know, O swing percentage or times he swung out at pitches outside of the strike zone, uh, it was you know thirty nine point two percent this year, and his career total is thirty nine point four percent. So uh, it's better than it was in two thousand nineteen when it was forty six percent. But uh, you know, yeah, he he basically has has been about the same kind of player. He's swinging at more strikes. That's that's the biggest difference. He's gone up from sixty eight percent. Uh, to 78% uh, this year. So he's really swinging a lot at, at pitches in the zone. Um, and he's making more, more contact. His contact percentage is 92.9%. So, wow. I mean, that's a skill. That's a really good skill um, to be able to to uh, make 92.9% contact when on pitches in the strike zone. Uh, when, when a lot of stuff in the, in the zone is pretty nasty these days. So um, those are skills that a major league team can use. And um, I think the Giants would have continued to employ him and have him on the roster if they just didn't have the roster crunch. And they've got Tommy Listella coming back soon. And and we know that they're going to need that space. That is what I'm getting to next, because I'm in the middle of writing an article about what the 26-man roster looks like when everyone is healthy. And it's going to include Tommy Listella. I'm not sure if I need to include uh, Anthony Desclafani just yet. But the, the gist of it is... I don't see how this works, getting LaStella back without sending someone uh, or getting rid of someone uh, who is contributing right now. The real answer is that someone's going to get hurt or someone's going to go in the IL. That's always sort of the solution that that manifests itself just because that's how baseball works. But you can't really send Luis Gonzalez down right now. He's been one of the best hitters on the Giants this year. You're not going to mess with Ruff, who just signed a, an extension. Austin Slater's been fantastic. Wilmer Flores has been very good. I don't see how LaStella fits on this roster unless you're going back to like a 12-man pitching staff, which also doesn't sound like the Giants. Yeah, they, they did add the extra pitcher. They added Junior Marte and uh, and option Donovan Walton, uh, one of the former Mariners in the parade of, of Mariner, Giant Mariner, <laughs> Gianters, whatever we want to call them. <laughs> wet Giants. Let's call them Wet Giants. Wet um, Giants. Uh, so yeah, they have the extra pitcher right now. And um and yeah, it's Lestella is likely to rejoin the club at Colorado at some point. It could be uh, in the, before the prior, uh, prior to the series opener here on Monday. But um, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's the position that you want to be in as a team to have to make tough decisions. And uh, you know, Luis Gonzalez is someone who has an option. It's not like they don't have players that they can't option. But as you mentioned, you know, Gonzalez is someone who is contributing. Um, you know, he, he might have a sore arm after throwing all those 45 mile an hour floaters. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe I have to put him on the injured list. We'll have to see. Yeah, that's about right. I kept looking up to see if there were knuckleballs because it just, they had such a weird movement. No, they were just EFIS pitches. 
And I They were hard to hit. It oh, looked man. like they were hard to hit. There were all these tomahawk chop swings from the Cardinals. I wanted to make a gif of Tommy Edmonds swing cuz A, he was smiling when he when he was swinging, which is funny. Uh, but B, he just he fell over. He had this weird chop at it and it just it felt it looked like it felt so uncomfortable for him and then he laughed all the way up the line. It was I don't know, blowouts have their have their moments, but I think at Luis Gonzalez, I want to see him pitch again. And then he's 80% up the line when he realized, "Oh crap, I'm going to be safe because <laughs> Luis Gonzalez, you know, butchered his throw and it bounced off the first baseman. And, and uh, yeah, so he, he ended up on, on, on base and that sort of, I think encapsulated the whole, the whole moment there. Uh, and it might've been the, the takeaway sort of uh, highlight of, of the, the comedy of those last few innings, if it hadn't been for, Oh, a guy with like 600 plus career homers <laughs> taking the mound for the first time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So with Gonzalez, it brings up sort of an interesting roster building idea uh, just in general, not not for this season. But when do you when does a guy become a guy you can't get rid of options or no? Because at one point there was Mike Yastrzemski and he was, you know, 2019 and he was doing OK. OK, now he's doing poor. We can send him down. And then famously, they didn't send him down. And that's when he got on that tear at Coors Field. And at some point, Mike Yastrzemski became a guy the Giants were not going to send down options or no. He was a contributor to this team. Luis Gonzalez has 73 plate appearances, and I don't think he's a 349 hitter. I don't think he's this good necessarily, but he is becoming a guy where you see how he, how he fits on the roster. You see the flexibility, his ability ability to play all three outfield positions, to hit for average, to steal a base, to take a walk. He just fits the roster really well. At what point does he become someone the Giants aren't going to touch? I don't think it's right now, just to say, but is it 100 plate appearances, 150? At what point do, does he become a Lamont Wade, so to speak? I think that's the perfect, uh, the perfect other example uh, to bring up is Lamont Wade. They sent him out for Brandon Belt last year. Everybody got mad. Then Brandon Belt got hurt like 48 hours later and Lamont Wade was back and he had like another you know, three sizzling weeks. And then they sort of, he crested that, uh, you know, he crossed that, the Rubicon, I guess, so to speak. And, and he was a guy that you couldn't send down. And, you know, we're not talking about a whole lot of plate appearances for Lamont Wade at that point either. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, they, I think uh, they kind of have to, this is a, a, an organization that trusts its evaluations, that doesn't move off its evaluations easily and doesn't allow um, small sample sizes to really challenge that. This is not a go with a hot hand kind of mm-hmm. kind of team. I don't think Gabe Kapler thinks that way. I don't think uh, the front office thinks that way. Uh, but at some point, you do have to make a concession, not only to how somebody's playing, but to everybody else in that room. I mean, you know, how are you going to expect someone from the minor leagues to come up and, you know, okay, you're going to have three great weeks and then we're just going to send you back out because we believe you are what you are and you're never going to be more than that. I mean, you have to demonstrate that there is that ability to grow and to be given, um, you know, more of a, I guess, uh, um, more of an opportunity if, if you warrant it. And I think Luis Gonzalez certainly warrants more of an opportunity at this point. 
Um, you know, but looking at, at Wade from last year, uh, you know, he had what I think with the twins about maybe 40 big league games and you know, a, a, a little under a hundred, uh, at bats in the major leagues. So he had a little bit of time there. Uh, but then you get into 2021 and, you know, we're not talking about a, a whole lot of at bats in 2021. I'm looking at it right now, uh, going to the Anaheim series and, you know, we're looking at, gosh, that's about, uh, 25 plate appearances. Uh, so, you know, that was easy to send them out then, but then when it turns into, you know, um, 75 plate appearances or you get to the end of June and he's, you know, uh, he's got, uh, nine walks, six homers in 97 at bats. And you think, oh gosh, well, he's, he's, he might be here to stay. And, and he certainly was. This brings us to Tommy Listella, because I'm not sure if you've been following what he's been doing in Sacramento, but he's been killing the ball. He's hitting 310. He has more walks and strikeouts, a couple of home runs. And it reminds me of how easy it is to forget that he was expected to be a key cog last year. The Giants gave him a multi-year deal, which they just don't do for a lot of hitters. And they gave it to him at a relatively advanced age because they wanted him to be a guy, the guy. He, they wanted him to be an on-base guy, uh, a utility knife. And it's worth thinking about in 2019, he is uh, that guy for the Angels. He goes over to the A's in the 2020 shortened season and strikes out five times in 111 plate appearances. He is a thing at this point. And then 2021 happens. We forget about him. I don't think we should forget about him. I think they're, they're still really counting on him to be that key cog in the lineup this year. You no, know, I totally agree. And, and you wonder if these sort of greater trends in the game hold uh, for whatever the reason is it's harder to hit home runs maybe the weather warms up and, and it doesn't really change um, then you know the ability to not strike out and to put the ball in play and to put it in play on a line um, is probably going to be uh, more of a, at a premium than it has been in the past five or six years at least and Tommy Lestella does that about as well as anybody in the major leagues I mean he hits line drives and he doesn't strike out um, now, you know, how, how much would they DH him or have to DH him? Um, you know, how, how physically, uh, I guess, compromised is he? Even when he was healthy, you know, he wasn't a guy who moved that great at, at second base. Um, so, you know, it, that that's, I think, uh, a question to ponder. Uh, is it going to cut into Tyro Estrada's time if he does play at second base? Um, you know, that's another point to ponder, but you know, they, they're getting, they've got most of their people back as you mentioned. And, and I think that, uh, you know, there, there are very few times in the season when you can be sort of as complete as the giants are right now. They are missing Anthony DiScalfani, as you mentioned, however, Jacob Junis is second on the team in B war. <laughs> as I look at the baseball <laughs> reference page on this team, uh, is right behind Carlos Rodon. So that's okay. Jacob Junis, congratulations. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Tommy Listella is, is someone they're eager to get back. They know he's going to make them better. It seems like the calculus is you either have Tommy Listella in the field against right-handed pitching or you have Jock Peterson in the field. From here, I think I would prefer, if I'm Gabe Kampler, I would uh, be taller. I would, I would have more muscles. Um, but also, I would be—I <laughs> would probably rather have Jock Peterson in the field. And I know he's not a great fielder, or maybe not even a good one, but I think that is what fits this lineup a little bit more, is Peterson and left in La Stella at DH against right-handers. I would agree. I think it's a tougher decision at Coors Field. Um, hmm. It it might be it might be a tougher decision at Coors. Coors is just I mean we've seen some some really really people get exposed 
at Coors Field. You know, God love him, Hunter Pence. Whoa. I mean, late in his career, he could not play the outfield. Uh, and he really could not play the outfield at Coors Field. Um, and we've seen them try to stick someone in center who doesn't belong in center, whether you're looking at the Denard Spans of the world or late career Angel Pagan. Or, uh, I mean, it happens. You know, you're not able to cover as much ground. And they, they really feel like they can coach up outfielders and they can you know, help people with positioning and, and make up for a lot of those shortcom- shortcomings when it comes to range. But man, is it hard to do it at Coors Field. And I, I just think that you got to have your best outfield defense out there as often as you can. That is an excellent point. I always forget about just how brutal it is to play outfield in Coors Field, especially I, I think uh, I think they played Fred Lewis in center a little bit. Like it's just it's not somewhere you can hide uh, a center fielder in in that ballpark. And it brings me to the larger point of this Rockies team looks like Rockies teams of the past. And by by that, I mean, they look abysmal on the road. And you just don't want to face them at home at Coors Field. I think they're the same team that they were, which means that you just you have to assume like you're going in to play the Dodgers when you go into Coors Field. Strip the name from the team. Just go in and assume that you have the toughest fight of your life coming up. I mean, they, they look so awful in San Francisco. And I'm like, how did they enter with a winning record? I mean, how? how? They just kicked the ball around. They didn't play clean. They... Uh, they had a, you know, these really just did not look good at all. And, um, and, you know, you look up and they're 17 and 17. So they haven't gone anywhere. They haven't played their way out of anything. Um, you know, they've, they, since going to San Francisco and, and giving up eight, nine and seven runs and three losses, they went to Kansas city, uh, and, uh, oh, pardon me. They opened a homestand against Kansas city and they lost two or three to a Royals mm-hmm. team that really has not done much offensively at all. They just fired their hitting coach, in fact. So uh, the team that just fired their hitting coach also put up, let's see, 14 plus 8 plus 4 is 12, is 26 runs in three games. Uh, So, you know, that's, yeah, that obviously that's not what you want. And uh, the Giants may be catching him at a right time, even even if it's uh, catching him at home. What you're telling me is that the Royals hitting coach was clearly the problem. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the Royals hitting coach has to be like, come on, guys, we, we just we just scored a uh, you know thirty runs in a in a series. It is a course field. Could you imagine being fired because you weren't? Uh I don't know, getting enough subscriptions to see Athletic and then you get fired and then all of a sudden the Athletic has like a record weekend for subscriptions, you would feel bad. I would feel bad if I'm the Royals hitting coach. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of hitting coaches. It seems to be the position where you're hired to be fired, uh, hitting and pitching coaches all yeah. around the league. And, um, you know, the Giants, I think, have been pretty darn stable. Um, they've only... I, I remember back to, you know, they fired Carney Lansford going way back to like 2007 or 2008. And that's when uh, he couldn't stop complaining about the ballpark. <laughs> Finally, I had to tell him, Carney, you can't keep complaining about the ballpark. And then uh, every every fly out of the warning track, there would be the camera on the dugout and him flapping his arms. So, um, yeah, that, 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 that was kind of uh, they, they told him, they warned him and it, it, he didn't turn it around. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you think of other hitting coaches that they've replaced or they moved on from. Um, but, uh, you know, the Giants have been fairly stable when it comes to hitting and pitching coaches. I mean, Dave Rigetti was here for a long, long time and was really, really good uh, at what he did. And, um, and and he's still around. It was great to see him in, uh, in, in spring training in minor league camp. Uh, he spends a lot of time with the kids at San Jose, uh, which I'm sure they, 
benefit from that. But um, but yeah, it it just seems like that's. I think as Ken Rosenthal put it when he reported it was the first of the hitting coaches to be fired because especially this year, I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to look back and say, why didn't we have this figured out? Why, why are we behind the, the trends here? Yeah, it's a, it's a thankless job. I remember early in the season when the Giants were scuffling a little bit offensively, I was on KMBR and Adam Copeland asked me if Donnie Ecker leaving was going to be a big storyline this season. If that was, if the Giants kept not hitting, would everyone point to Donnie Ecker as as the, the wizard who helped the Giants last year. And then I look at what the Rangers are doing and Marcus Simeon is in a bad way. And you've got, you've got hitters all over the Rangers in a bad way. And is that Donnie Ecker's fault? No, but it's just all of a sudden you start wondering, okay, how much influence these guys really have? Is this the problem? That sort of thing. And it just seems like a thankless job. The Giants uh, are hitting 244 as a team. And you think, oh, well, that's just not very good. (laughs) They're second in the major leagues in runs per game behind the Dodgers at (laughs) 4.97. I mean, it's it's just... uh, we're still making sense of this. Uh, You know, you look at things and you think, well, that's got to improve. That's not so good. And you look at it and the Giants are still um, finding ways to score runs, you know, as as well as anybody in baseball. And so I think they're, they're doing just fine. I think a lot of what Donnie Ecker worked with, uh, and and you always heard it. It was never, I'm working with Donnie on this. It was always Donnie and Justin and Dustin. And I, I, Mm. I sort of joked that they were all like, someone took a staple gun and like, you know, stapled them together uh, because they were always uh, giving credit as a group. And, you know, Justin Vealy does a lot. We don't see him on the field very much. He's down uh, in the cage quite a bit. I think they do a lot of stuff uh, that's kind of top secret. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they've, uh, you know, Pedro Guerrero, from everything I hear, is, is really connected with a lot of players. Um, not the Pedro Guerrero of Dodger fame, obviously. We still have to give you that caveat until you're used to it. It's Pedro Guerrero, the former <laughs> Phillies hitting instructor, who's now the Giants uh, hitting instructor, uh, co-hitting instructor, they call it. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Donnie Ecker was someone who who was really, really good, I think, at messaging, at communicating. And uh, that was probably the biggest thing that this hitting group had to replace. Wasn't, you know, their plan, wasn't their setup, wasn't their organization, you know, how they use data, all that. I think they're still uh, doing very, very well. Uh, it, it, it's just having that extra person who's really good at communicating. And clearly, I think they've done a pretty good job. All right. This has been episode 186 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Thursday to talk about what in the heck happened at Coors Field. Hopefully, it is better than what happened uh, out there in St. Louis. So thanks for listening, and we will see you then. <laughs>